Welcome everyone to episode 2-3 of Retro Encounter where we talk about the ending, the last little bit of Final Fantasy X. With me is Mike Solosi. Hello. Peter Treisenberg. Hi. And Caitlin Ardros. Good job, you pronounced it right. Pulled it out. It yes. sounded like there was a question mark at the end of Argyros when you said it this time. So I wanted to put a question mark, and I decided that, that would sound really bad, so I tried to abort that question mark, and I'm not, apparently it didn't work. Hey, it's a hard name to pronounce. But I, I asked you, like, father. I asked you literally a minute ago. <laughs> well, good, your short-term memory is intact. Kind of. And, good enough. Oh, question mark or not, you said you did say it correctly, so that's, that's good on you. Yeah. So, we did it. We finished. Final Fantasy X. What's, uh, how's everybody feeling? Sad. One of us finished Final Fantasy X. <laughs> okay, so I didn't finish it in time. I've beaten this game a few times before, though, so I'm working from memory here. Same here. I, I beat it, like, 90 minutes ago. I mean, I, I knew we had the recording tonight, so I just finished it up earlier this afternoon. And it's the, it's the second time I've played the game. And there's me pa- panically tweeting at Mike, hey, is this tonight? <laughs> Crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do we want to start with the ending or work our way up to it? So well, where were we before? I, I think we should work our way up to it because there's plenty to talk about what's going on in Bevel and Gagazette and all that. Essentially finished with the first time fighting Seymour. Right. The the Macalania one. Yep. So, we should have fin- beaten Seymour another uh, three times since. Hundred times. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel it, it. It doesn't feel quite as repetitive as uh, fighting. What's her name? Uh, Beatrix four times in one disc in FF9. But I, I was I was about ready to be done with Seymour by the time you fight him the fourth time. I mean, ugh. I mean, we aren't fans of Seymour, obviously, the stupid, rapey creeper. <sighs> at least the but, at least the fourth time he gets a kick-ass battle theme. But yeah. and yes, you know, you know what I was I thought was interesting about um the third time you fight him, which is uh, uh which one Seymour Flux I think, is that uh that and the Unaleska battle after that explore the zombie status in a weird way, because both of those um bosses were like revolve around putting zombie on your characters then healing your characters and then casting instant kills that zombies will survive and regular characters won't survive uh as you're doing it which is like the zombie had always been sort of a novelty status in some of the older ff games but this time they have two fairly medium challenging bosses revolve around it that that weirded me out i actually died once against unaleska because i i felt I fell victim to one of her zombie traps. It was it was kind of neat, but yeah, not yeah, I, I think I've played a zillion the, of these games, so it's neat seeing something unusual like that. Yeah, it speaks to how good the, the boss. We mentioned earlier how good the boss design in Final Fantasy X is, and those two battles in particular, I think, are really good examples of that. And uh, one other thing about boss design that I sort of didn't expect: there's a lot of. Um, like environmental effects like you like being able to attack a different target to affect the battle in some way like uh the airship fights where you can move in or move out and the one underwater fight where you can sort of chase down the monster or go back and try to get a treasure chest kind of thing it's it's neat having these sort of like non-combat tactics in combat 
that they introduce on the the Xanarkand Highway 30 minutes into the game and keep going through to basically the end of the game. Yeah, it's one of those things so often you, you press X to win. And you can get in that kind of that routine. And I, I think having those elements that if you just press X and you attack the boss, something's going to block it, it's not going to do damage, you're going to have the arms doing a bunch of damage to you. So having to actually think out, you almost think on your feet too, of how am I actually going to go about taking this boss on, which I, I really enjoyed. Yeah, it, that it, works well with the uh, the flow of battle, too. You don't have to worry about, oh, I have to attack right now, because if I don't, he's going to get his turn and attack me. You have all the time in the world to decide what you want to do with each character's attack, and you know where they're going to fall in the battle. And, I mean, we I think we talked about this before, but even though it's a turn-based battle system, it feels fast-moving because switching characters in and out is really smooth, and none of the uh, animations are cumbersome, unlike, you know, say, Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, it, <laughs> j- j- they, they do a lot of neat things with traditional Final Fantasy combat tricks in, uh, in FF10, and I appreciated that a lot. Yeah, I wouldn't mind uh, Final Fantasy going back and using that system again. I mean, obviously, ten two did, but uh, to a certain extent, but... You know, I, I, I quite liked the battle system in ten all the way through. And, I mean, I, I say this as someone that played Final Fantasy X once and has never played a minute of ten two. But now I own ten two thanks to this HD remaster. It, uh, is it really worth playing? Because I, I have heard such incredibly negative stuff about that game. But so I, think, I think some people like it. I, 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 I have okay. no opinion of it. It's an okay game. It's just not a, It's just a terrible story. Huh. Like, my, my experience with Ten Two is that I played it immediately after playing Ten for the first time, and then um, I was really, really not into it for a while. And then one day I sat down, like somewhere. There's the game's in five chapters. I sat down somewhere in the middle of chapter two and was on the final boss by the end of the afternoon. So weird. Oh, I kind of, I kind of tore through Ten Two. It's, it, it's, it's the. The, the, the way it treats the characters from the last game is really obnoxious, and some of the story retcons are really irritating as well. Plus, the, the tone is... It, I mean, yeah, it, it's a weird game, but the combat and the, uh, the class system, the dress spheres, which are kind of like a prototype of the paradigm shifts from 13. Like, I don't know. It was a fun, it was a fun game. That's the, whenever I've heard people talk about it, the dress spheres or the dress system just kind of seems like the only redeeming factor of it. Or the it, it, primary redeeming factor of it. It's 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 pretty cool because so like you get you but this is now the Final Fantasy X two podcast. So I'm not prepared for this. <laughs> all right, well I, I'll keep it brief. It just it, the dress sphere system gives you like a little mini sphere grid that you can bring up by tapping a shoulder button and then you switch classes between them. But you have to go in order. You can't just switch to any class. You have to switch in the order that you put them in. Which can which can give you certain bonuses depending on how you have them arranged. So there's kind of an interesting like character building huh. system in place. I mean, I'd say play it if you keep your expectations suitably low. And you'll know really quickly because that's I played maybe the first half hour hour of it. I knew very very quickly I didn't want to keep going with it. Yeah. I liked it well enough. Um, I didn't like the music as much there's some there is some good music but it overall yeah, wasn't quite on the same 
level as as the first game. Um, I also the thing I didn't like was you have three party members and that's your party for the entire game. I I don't tend to like it when that's all you get and you get them at the very beginning too. So and they're also spheres. It's a good thing that they're there because it mixes things up and keeps things fresh. If they hadn't implemented that, it would have been super boring. And also, there are three characters that you already know. So well, I mean, you, you could argue that that's a positive, but for me, it's kind of a no. Right? Pain is new. Oh yeah, pain. She's not in the. She's not in town. And I, emails, I knew that, and I played it. I so whenever I look at it, just really, really quickly, I just like, oh, it's Lulu, but she cut her hair. Why'd she do that? And that always throws me off. It would have made more sense if it was Lulu. It'd make a lot more sense if it was Lulu. At least no, she was she's... wearing pants. Lulu's wearing a belt dress. <laughs> Lulu's still wearing her belt dress when she's pregnant with Waka's child. Waka. Yes, that's that's an, her, that's an interesting choice. Her belt dress with the corset to end all corsets, and she's pregnant. Or she does she already have the kid? I forget. She has the kid at the end, which means she was very pregnant. <laughs> a baby in a flower thing. She couldn't make a but... moo made of belts just for FF10 too. Why do we expect <laughs> realism from our games? I don't know. I mean, anyway. Also, 10 2 is like 90% recycled assets from 10, right, including yeah. Lulu's character model. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say definitely if, you, if you're feeling slightly burnt out with 10 right now, I would highly recommend you not doing it. Yeah, okay. I'll I'll go back to just replaying the Persona games over and over, I guess. If I feel burnt out on 10. Good good plan. Yeah, that, that that's solid. Not a bad way a use of time. I'll, after this podcast is over, I'll probably watch Persona 5 trailers for a solid hour and then work on my fifth playthrough of Persona 4. That's just how I roll, guys. So, yeah, we like the combat. We're not sure if we like FF10 too. Um you know what we uh i think uh josh you were telling us off air we got some interesting comments from the rpg fan forums about the uh musical choices in ff10 you're gonna put me on the spot (laughs) you're the one that you're the one that brought them up (laughs) come on man um so just to see since nobody's here from random encounter we can make fun of that podcast uh dom lee was saying that i guess a while ago they had said they thought the FF10 soundtrack wasn't strong compared to the other ones. And uh, Dom Lee went on to talk about the Mount uh, Gagazette theme being hauntingly beautiful. It, it, this is in the forums and not on Random Encounter, right? No, this is actually uh, in the forums on our, right. yes, our, our thread. Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, Just trying to follow along. Yeah, 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 sorry. <laughs> um, but I, I, they kind of, the conversation kind of turns to love playing a part the true essence of the song and kind of hearkening to the hopes and dreams that uh you know will have to endure as she continues her pilgrimage um and then that went on to clutch 64 talking about how uh themes of various final fantasy games are actually plot relevant and so kind of everybody was kind of leaning towards what are what were our impressions of the music did we like it um how we kind of thought it tied into the general theme of the game as a whole uh positive negative thoughts and all of that um, I, I have a very positive impression of the FF10 soundtrack. I didn't super strongly remember it from when I played it a long time ago, but playing it again this time, it struck me out as a highlight of the game. And I thought they, I mentioned this off air as well, but I thought it was really smart how they 
incorporate three or four of their major motifs and sort of melodies uh, into the whole game. Like there, like there's different renditions of the Hymn of the Faith even snuck into battle music, and same thing for the Tuzanarkan music in the final scenes of the game. And that was a really smart callback, and a, a lot of a lot of games do that. But it's a uh, it's really effective when it's pulled off this well. I've, I generally have a very positive impression of the FF10 soundtrack. So I, this is almost a conversation I can't take part in. Um, <laughs> the uh, most of my playthrough was traveling on um, planes and whatnot, and then when I was back, I was just kind of fitting it where I could. Um, right, you played so, it on the Vita, right? Yeah, yeah, I played on the Vita, and so I, uh, I think we talked about this in the first podcast. Uh, when I started on the PS4, I had audio on and whatnot, and it sounded fantastic. Um, and it's it's music I like. It's music I've gone back to, and like when I'm at work, I'll listen to the soundtrack and stuff like that. Um, but oftentimes, combination of me traveling and then also just how I typically play games. Um, if it's on a device, I do not have my audio on typically. Um, so I would all the battle themes for the, essentially any of me wandering around. My, it was muted, and then oftentimes when it went to a cutscene, that's when I would actually turn the volume up. Uh, so. The music, insofar as the cutscenes, I thought they were great. I think they always tied together with the theme, or I guess the theme, um, and it always made it more emotional. Like the the final scene, the, the music was extremely on point. I thought it was spectacular. I, th- I think that tracks like my t- one of my top most played songs on my iPod. I'd have to check. It's but... one of the best overall Final Fantasy themes ever. Yeah, and it incorporates all the major motifs from throughout the game. It has it goes from Hymn of the Faith transitions into um, to Zanarkand, ends on Yuna's theme. Like it's it's really it's really well put together. Right, and then that's that's where I I thought all of that was was wonderful. I don't like all of the music in the game. There's some of it is kind of weird sounding to me and partly it's because um there were so many people helping uh Uematsu this time around yeah um, I, even, I even think, people that i, I really it, like i don't think Uematsu even composed like the plurality of the soundtrack he didn't he contribute only a couple songs i, I'm I think this... i think he did to xanderkind and the seymour battle theme he also did him, did he did him of the faith as well and I, he did okay. i know he did a couple songs but I, I don't think he even did most of them he did a he did uh, one of my favorites and I can't remember the name of it. It's uh, it plays in the forest, uh, not Makalania, but the other forest that you uh, run around in. Um, crap. There's another. I can't forest. remember the name of it. Um, <laughs> is it is it the one with the shoe puff? The, not the shoe puff. Shoe puff's um, waiting. Here, let me let me. I just shoot off. Let me pull up my my uh, my track list real fast. But um, I don't know. Uh, I wasn't super appreciative of like the the boss themes. Um, outside of like a few like Seymour's final boss theme is one of my favorites. Um, but like the the normal boss theme, which is kind of like, eh, okay. <laughs> I, I think so, we brought I think we brought this up in the first episode, but I still love the uh, like the ska trumpet in the main battle theme. It's it, it's very bright and cheery and interesting. <laughs> very different from like your typical like battle music, I think. So traditionally, I, I have never liked most boss music. Uh, 
in Final Fantasy, I, I typically like more of the, the mellow. Uh, I, I think the word was thrown around hauntingly beautiful. I think sure. I mentioned that earlier. I like that type of music, typically in Final Fantasy. A lot of the kind of upbeat, fast, because they're trying to have that tension. I find that much... I'm not annoying, that's a terrible word, but I, I just don't like that as much. No, I, I, I basically understand. When I, uh, when I was... Uh, very young, when I was like a teenager or a preteen playing the Final Fantasy games for the first time, I loved all the boss themes because it was like you know it was like a like little kids that are into really fast moving rock and metal and stuff. It's it it just was so intense and fast and huge. And I mean I own all of the Black Mages albums <laughs> bought <laughs> bought from my teens. But the uh, uh, I I I basically agree. Um, Final Fantasy X does these mellower. Uh, smoother uh smoother tracks better than the than its boss music i i mean the what's the final boss called is it otherworld or is that one of the seymour fights that's the fine that's the the air quotes final boss right okay song. yeah, yeah. I, I thought that's a, i think it's a pretty cool song it's all it's awfully harsh sounding compared to most of the other music in the game but i thought it you know it was executed well and but in general i like the sweeter themes more than the harsher themes in this game I'm really happy you turned that around, Mike. At first, I thought you were comparing me to preteen Mike. No, no, I, no, I, no. Uh, <laughs> if anything, you're. If any, yeah, it's the opposite. Actually, you're you're the opposite of preteen Mike, listening to like metal versions of all the Final Fantasy music. I, I'm really happy that turned around to me being actually having like possibly a mature palate. I, I really thought I was gonna be like, you know, like I felt that way back when I was like ten, but now oh, that I've grown up. <laughs> I, I know I, I know I'm condescending sometimes, but I, I, you would be justifiably pissed off at me if I had made that comparison. Like, wow, it is super harsh. <laughs> yeah. I listen to heavy metal all the time, so. But... The opening was like right at home for you then. Otherworld's actually the only like boss theme I'm not terribly up on. Actually, I like most of them. I really like um, Contest of Aeons, the music that plays when during the ending when you're fighting all of Unis Aeons. Right. But, I, I guess, I mean, well, those two songs are pretty fresh in my mind because I just heard them. But other, <laughs> other, other World's a weird case because it's so out of place. Like, the fight is awesome. The image of giant flaming final Aeon ripping a sword out of its chest is, suits, the, suits the metal thing very well. That was a very but, Devil May Cry moment. Yeah, but the song itself is... It sounds like it sounds like a dog trying to puke the lyrics to a Slayer song. I don't know. <laughs> wow, that imagery! <laughs> uh, that gives a whole new meaning when you play through that. Play. <laughs> Rain and blood. <laughs> wow. wow. Nope, that image is still in my brain. Nope, yeah, it's not I leaving. I don't know where to go um, from that. Okay. Um, um, <laughs> calm before the storm. That was the track I was talking about before it. I remember it plays, um, you know, the first setting that you see Yuna do? Yeah, the, the, the one in Kilika? Yeah, I, I remember there being like a forest after that, and oh, okay. this is that, yeah. that theme plays. It's a really pretty little theme using like guitar and whatnot, and I'm, I'm almost positive that was Uematsu because it sounds very Uematsu. But... I, I, I couldn't pick out the tracks that Uematsu did versus the tracks that other people did, but I thought FF10 sort of marked the point or one of the points where. Uematsu sort of started to drift away from Square in general because uh, or the style that he used to use, or I'm or just you know stopped being their go-to composer for all of the Final Fantasy games. Well, so looking at the the four-disc uh, soundtrack, 
he he looks like he was on about half the songs. Oh, okay. So I'm I was underestimating it, I guess. But I guess... A, a lot of them were not just him. There yeah. was a lot that he would do with like Hamauzu and a few other people. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it looks like I mean, it's basically half of them he's on, or half of them's on, and then half of those he's with somebody else. Sakimoto wasn't involved, was he, or was he off on Evil East Island doing his own thing? He was. He was not involved. He was not involved. Oh, that's a bummer. Junior Nakano was the third composer. Yeah, Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Sure. Okay. It's certainly a very interesting and eclectic soundtrack, especially compared to the PS1 era Final Fantasies. And there's some great stuff that I love, like um, the the, uh, listener that we were talking about on the forums. I mentioned Mount Gagazet in particular, uh, and I, I imagine what he's talking about is People of the Far North which is my hands-down favorite piece on that soundtrack. That song is really good. It's so beautiful. And it, what does he describe it as? Hauntingly beautiful? It's, that's exactly how I would say, how I would describe it myself. As a connoisseur of icy and wintry parts of RPGs, Gagaset's really gorgeous looking. I, I, I didn't mind the super long mountainy corridor when I was walking through there. So you're saying you do like games with corridors? Well, so I'm pretty sure on 2-2 two, two you're complaining about that. Oh, oh I'll, I'll continue to complain about it, but I mean, sure, I like me a uh, a Rogue Galaxy or a Mass Effect 2 now and again. I, I still think it's it's weak design to have to have the, the these parts of the game so oppressively linear. You, you... <sighs> but, but, but I mean, I mean look, my, my favorite area in the game is, I mean, by, when I say area, I mean like sort of zone that you check out. My favorite area of the game is probably the Calm Lands. Just because it's so wide open with things to do in different corners of the area and isn't just a corridor with little alcoves for treasure chests every 15 minutes. So um, I, I, I get annoyed when the game is just walking in one direction for the large majority of its play spaces. Like the, that forest outside of Kilika that Caitlin brought up a short time ago, that's another exception since, since it's... It has as many as three or four pathways through it instead of just one. So, but I'd ask you, though, if the Calmlands would have had as big of an impact on you if the rest of the game wasn't as linear as it was. Maybe not. Um, but still, I mean, I like that more than the other places in part because I felt that certain parts of the game were too... Were, were, were more corridor than dungeon or more corridor than field. So it, I, it did feel great actually having a field to explore. So, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's true, Caitlin, but it, I don't think that that is, that's, uh, you know, excuses the rest of the game being so just, I mean, so straightforward in a, and I, whatever. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't want to diminish how much I like the game in general. I like this game more now than when I first played it 11 years ago or whenever that was but i i still think that there's issues with backtracking and fast travel and linearity those are still my biggest issues with the game speaking of issues with backtracking can we talk about the dark aeons (laughs) (laughs) yes please do that's a good that was a good transition uh that was applause so the dark so the dark aeons uh the international version adds a whole bunch of new super bosses that are basically reskins of Yuna's Aeons at certain points where they would be the most obnoxious for you to bump into. 
and you will bump into them accidentally if you decide to do any backtracking to get ultimate weapons or Valifor second overdrive or basically any any post game stuff that you would actually want to be getting done during the one part of the game that actually lets you explore and backtrack freely. And yeah, it they suck. And sometimes yeah. they really trick you. Like um I think it was Dark Ifrit. I was uh Going back into Baikonel Desert to get Riku's ultimate weapon, or uh, I should—I think it was for Sigil I was getting. And there's some Albed that are like, "Oh, hey, can my my child's over there so being attacked by a monster. Can you help her?" Or I don't remember the exact context of it. And I said, "Okay." And then a bunch of summoners ambushed me with Dark Efreet instead, and that—that uh, that was unpleasant. So like, um, th- like Peter was alluding to there's uh some dark aeons block parts of the game some of them are just sort of uh occupying paths that inhibit your backtracking i ran into the dark mega sisters by accident when i was traveling between the mehen high road and the uh mushroom rock road it's it's messy and you are not strong enough to beat them unless you are well beyond end game stuff which is which is weird because the way they're placed at some points makes it difficult to get some of that end game stuff. Like if you're trying to get, um, if you missed like the destruct the the two destruction spheres in Makalania and um, and Besaid, then you'd have to get through either Dark Shiva or Dark Valifor in order to get them again. Yeah, and um, I uh, I didn't get Oron's final overdrive because one of his spheres is in Besaid. And I and I wasn't strong enough to do to beat Dark Velifor. So that's at least two things, potentially three, that are blocked off by a super boss in this version of the game. It's probably more than those three, but I don't I I, I don't feel like checking a guide right now. But it's a little it is sort of obnoxious that first of all the backtracking's hard, and after a certain point, uh, trying to backtrack is gets punished by running into these super bosses i don't i i don't like that <laughs> I, I appreciate the idea of them adding op- optional bosses to the international versions but the way i think it's part partially due to the way 10 is structured already there isn't much room to like okay we're going to add all these new bosses but the way that they're just kind of slap dashed in there doesn't doesn't work for me i sort of i don't know Maybe it would have been best if they could have done like a, a, I don't know, a new game plus or a post game, some some way to access. I mean, of course, it wouldn't work post game with the ending, but I don't know. They, they could have worked better for new game plus, like. Yeah, I mean, that, they could that do something sense. like the way that Star Ocean and Tail game, Tales games do, where when you go, you beat the game, and then you return to your last save before the final boss, and you can keep doing, uh, you know, end game content. Uh, and building your level, and then, you know, something like that. I don't know. I The way I would have done it if I could go back in time and suddenly join Square's ex- huge budget Final Fantasy team in the late 90s, uh, I would sort of maybe have an endgame location where you could basically press a button and unleash them. So you could explore the world without the day- Dark Aeons with the airship at one point, but then when you're ready to fight them, you can sort of summon them and have them appear wherever they appear but as it stands if you try to do end game backtracking or exploration you will run into probably at least one or two of these dark aeons and you will not be able to beat them until you have characters that have completed most of the grid you know what would be kind of interesting now i'm thinking about it 
<clears throat> to, and this would kind of solve some of your solution too, uh, or your problems that you're having. Kind <laughs> solve of, my solution. <laughs> solve your solutions. Um, since the Aeons are kind of tied to Yevon and kind of the religion and whatnot, so after they get marked as traitors. Yeah, right, yeah, after spawning. after the events of Bavel and then you have Bahamut, yeah. Right. So if the your Aeon slowly got corrupted. So you kind of went through a time period of uh like you know like back when you played Pokemon and if you got like a friend's Pokemon that was like level eighty and you'd play like an hour and they wouldn't listen to you? Right, yeah, and you okay. and you and you would get badges to so so you could control them. Mm-hmm. Right. So essentially have them slowly over time, like not at all the same time, but one after the other start not listening to you in battle. So making them essentially useless, and then you'd have to go and cleanse them. Huh. So That's... then it's an option for you to go and do it. It's solving kind of your solution. It's it's side game content that you would be able to go and have to actually do this. It does some backtracking, whatever. Uh, but then also you have the option, if you're choosing not to do all that backtracking, you could possibly get through all the endgame content in time that it wouldn't become a problem. I, I like where you're going with that. The only like thing I'm thinking of would be... Because um, that would if, if you took away the Aeons and you decided not to, you'd have to not be using Yuna or building her very differently. Right, and that's, I'm not sure how, it, it's obviously, I have no idea. Yeah, how you no, do it's that. a hypothetical. Um, but you'd kind of have, like, if you had used one more than the other, then you've built up a bond, so it would take much longer. So that also kind of ties into the ones that you used a lot, that you're probably going to use in the, at the end of the game anyways, they'd stick with you. Um, whereas if you never used Balfour or whatever, like, all of a sudden that you start having issues. And then you could even get to the point that maybe when you called somebody else, he that would come in instead or i don't know that that sounds like a really fascinating mod or spin-off to ff10 but i mean as as it stands it's i i yuna was one of the characters i used the least so i that's and there's already a lot going on with those aeons like you can customize their abilities and teach them new spells and there's a lot to do in ff10 if you plumb the depths of the skill system and the oh, yeah. uh, and the end game quests which I, I really wasn't aware of that the first time I played the game, because I just sort of beelined it to the final boss. But now, making an effort to actually see all the content, it was a little overwhelming at first. But, I, I mean, I, I I don't know... I, I, I think that might complicate things a little too much with the Aeons, with your solution to that solution, yeah. uh, Josh. But it's... I. Uh, I think we can all agree that the Dark Aeons could have been implemented a little better or a little differently that would satisfy us better. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or you could just do everything right the first time and not have to backtrack. Yeah, I'm just, well... Well, actually, <laughs> no, well, no, you can't with the Jex Spheres. They don't appear until Macalania Woods, and if you want to get all of them, you have to walk all the way back to Besaid before going to Macalania Temple. And yeah, because yeah. that is some BS, I never got... Uh, Oren's final <laughs> overdrive. Yeah, there's some things that would that wouldn't be feasible for. No, absolutely. I, I just have to give you a hard time. And I, I, you also can't recruit uh, blitzball players in Besaid, but I don't think there's any that are like game breaking. Because all their blitzball players suck. No, Except there's for Waka. Uh, um. Well, yes, but there's one, there's one good one. Uh. Well, well okay. I mean, it, it's really. <laughs> 
I don't want to get not turning into a blitz no, no, podcast no. again. Mike this one, just give me just give me one minute. Just give me I, one I'm not minute. doing this with you again. No, one second. The Besaid Aurochs are bad, but once they get to like level 90 or something, each one of them gains hugely in one stat. So there's usable at at that point, but I never did that. I only saw But it's that level 90. I only saw that on a chart online. I'm not saying it's worth it. Was but it a chart one, that you made? No, it was on it was on the it was on a Wikia page, I think. But um <laughs> There's one Blitzball player that's not on the Besaidorox team. She's just a random villager in one of the houses that is a very good Blitzball player. But I never and I thought about going back to recruit her, but that would that would have been hours that I didn't want to use. So, uh, yeah, that's it. No more Blitzball talk, I promise. Oh, uh, but the Blitzball music is not very good, and I usually listen to podcasts over it. Now I'm done. <laughs> I like how you said no more Blitzball talk. Except for this. <laughs> and this, and this, and this. Uh, yeah, we'll, I'd l- at this point, I'd like to introduce the new RPG fan uh, podcast, Blitzball Encounter. I, I thought we were just going to make that into a Twitch YouTube kind of thing. No. And then you, can, you can do like a sports center every morning, and you can cut every your top ten. Oh my god. And then you're not top ten. I, oh wow, I could... That would be so much work, but I would totally watch it if someone else did that. We could we could have drafts occasionally. Oh, nameless villager in Besaid. She finally got the call up to the big leagues. I forget her name. It starts with a V, but whatever. She she her stats looked good on the wikia, but I didn't want to go. I didn't want to beat Dark Valifor just to recruit her from level one onto my team. I really want you to make a top ten now. Oh God! Like players or <laughs> all of the above. I just want. No. I just want Buzzfeed top ten lists. All of them, just like top ten, ten lists. Top ten best players in Spira. You won't believe who number one is, and it's Titus. Look at the top ten. No, he's, shots. it wouldn't be Titus. Um, he could reject. Oh, I wish. Man, wouldn't that be kind of like, like a, a neat thing for like a post game? bonus would be to get Jack on your on your team. Yeah, I would be yeah. I, I would be a hundred percent into that, but I would Game be plus. more into a uh I, I don't know, why don't they just add blitz make a blitzball app or something? I would I would I would pour stupid money into that as a stupid person who likes Blitzball. But, but you're the only one that <laughs> likes it. As far as you're concerned, they already made a Blitzball app. It's called oh, they did? ten on Vita. Oh, okay. Go play it. Uh <laughs> I think you intend to. I think you can recruit Jacked at least in the international. Really? Version. So yeah. Okay, so now you're telling me I should definitely play ten two. Well, and I should ten, ignore ten, all of the scuttlebutt from the first half of this podcast. Well, because ten two international adds this uh, monster monster hunt monster collecting thing that also for some reason includes characters. So Orin Jacked. A wild Orin one... appears. Fight item. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Mike, throw use rock, Master Ball. Throw Pokeball. I'm sorry, throw Pokesphere. The Pokeball. Uh, everything's a sphere in Final Fantasy X. Everything's either a sphere or a spiral. Fair enough. Spiral of death. They talked about the spiral of sin and death and despair and hope and all that all the time. They, they, so... they talk about hope even more than in FF6, which, like, I think the major theme of FF6 is hope. <laughs> But they, uh, yeah, they, they take it a step further for 10. Can we talk about a conceptual problem I have with Final Fantasy ten two existing? Please. Is it all of it? So, yeah, well, yeah. We'll, we'll talk more about that later. Um, Is it having no guns in FF ten at all, except for these rare, like, 
Albed artifacts, and suddenly Yuna turns into Lara Croft for the game and is wielding dual handguns. And yet somehow she's still wearing the last clothes in Lara Croft, which is kind of amazing. <laughs> if you make Lara Croft look modest, then maybe you need to think about your choices. <laughs> Alright, so, you kill Sin. Sin's dead. Shouldn't that kind of solve all the monsters, too? I don't think Sin's the reason for the monsters, though. But he's drawn to the fiends, so like yeah, well, because no, they're not drawn, sent on. He's drawn to his own sin spawn. Um, yeah, fe- yeah. Fiends are formed when someone dies and their pyreflies go unsent. Then they coalesce into fiends. So that so, would still be an issue, even though sin's not around. Yes. Yeah. There's There's a connection between some fiends and sin, but it uh, killing sin does not rid the world of all fiends. Okay, because in my mind that was kind of. Ultimate it was like, well, Sin's it's, gone. There's there's no fiends now. Well, there's there's some kind of Venn diagram involved, but it's not you know it's not a direct. It's not all of them. them. Yeah, exactly. Okay, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah, because that was really bothering me at some point. Cause I, I I never put it together back when I played ten, and then a little bit of ten too. Um, but this time through, I was like, well, if there's fiends that were because like when they have the Operation Mehan or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they bring like the big fiend, and they're like oh, he'll but come the, now. Yeah, but the, those weren't just regular fiends; those were sin spawn, which okay. are the special fiends that come off of his shells and feathers oh. and scales and whatever. Yeah, that clears that up. That that was that had been bothering me for a while. So happy we could clear that up for everybody else. And you know, sp- speaking of fiends and sending and everything, um, it, I was a little startled how in the last third of the game or so, it's like a quarter of all of the NPCs you ever met end up being unsent. <laughs> Everybody's on set. Everyone, it's crazy. Plays. Yeah, it's 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 nuts. <laughs> it's like like you introduce the. I don't even remember when the concept of an unsent was introduced. I I want to say it was um it was when you see Jiskel in the far plane. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, but well, he's like, is he technically not sent though? He's just he's not he wasn't unsent. He was sent. He just refused to stay sent. It's. Uh, well, okay, that's that's a gray area. I'm not I'm not positive. <laughs> it's when they, it's when they introduce the concept. Okay, but in general, it's when someone dies, but their determination to uh, or their or a fixation on something is so strong that they don't go to the far plane. Right. And with Oren, it's because uh, he promised uh, Jekt and Braska to look after their kids and end the cycle of sin. And for uh, Belgamine, is she wanted to. Like make sure that the next generation of summoners were could fight sin, and for uh, for Maester Mika and Seymour, it was for selfish reasons to stay in power, basically. The so, best but, kind of reasons. Yeah, but the um, it, it was, I mean, it was crazy how for the last section of the game, everyone's unsent, and when and the two or three times where Yuna is about to perform ascending, like uh, when she tries to do that at the wedding scene, Mika's like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Because he, I mean, it's not, we don't know that he's unsent yet, but he uh, is the one that stops her from performing the ritual. It's, it's, I mean, it's a neat concept for the world of FF10, but by the end, it's just everyone's unsent. I literally had this moment where I was thinking, you know, probably with that final sending at the end, doing all that, she probably killed more people than Sin would have if they just left Sin alone. Uh, I, I don't think that, but it, yeah. That would, that's she, she that's the type of thing of that people. that's the type of thing that went through my head though. Yeah, but I mean, those really weren't unsent. They, I mean, I mean, what are the faith exactly? Are they are they unsent or are they just spirits from a thousand years ago? Or oh, I'm hurting my head just there, thinking about there, it. 
I think they're, they're aren't they summoners? They like they made it, or there's their priests of Yevon who made a decision to become a fae. Right, and Yu Yevon was like their leader, I'm or something. Be so hazy about this. It, it's uh... let's talk about something else. Yeah. Two FF, two FF wiki. <laughs> no, oh, okay. By the way. I, I agree with Josh. Let's talk about Blitzball again. Oh yeah. No. Oh. Guys, hey, so we don't have to talk about Blitzball. Apparently the guy from the Monster Arena, the side quest in the Calm Lands, apparently he's an unsent too. Oh yeah, and um and Machen. Fun facts of life. Yeah, Machen, the guy that uh like who talks like this and the guy with the amazing voice and, and, and informs you of all the features of Spira. He's also unsent. Everybody's unsent. Let's it, be real. He, he was it's so determined to just lecture everyone that he be, that really? he was not sent to the far plane. Wait, Spira needs more summoners, clearly, because people getting sent. Yeah, why yeah. don't they just have a, a summoner just hang out in each town? Well, I think part of becoming a summoner was the idea that you should die trying or die succeeding to stop sin. So it's not as in-demand a job as one would think. <laughs> But I mean, I, I mean, the idea of having a summoner stick around as just like a local summoner just to send people is probably a nice idea, but it's not an idea that anyone in Spira has. I mean, because you know, the whole concept sounds partly like it's a a ritual for you know saying goodbye to those who have passed. So it almost kind of makes summoners into a religious figure, priests or whatnot, and you know. You, have priests all over the place in in towns and it kind of almost makes sense to have your local summoner if it's so important that people be sent that you'd have them there but i mean the pilgrimage might be more important than sending and we're not sure how easy or difficult it is to become a summoner because i mean we meet five or six of them throughout the game but they're, they're not common and all of them seem to be on a pilgrimage except for seymour and considering how many how many fiends there are, like you can probably imagine that there are a lot of people who go unsent. And why wouldn't you though, if if sin's just gonna come back, why don't you just say screw it? A <laughs> uh, great question that delves into th a thousand years of the history of a fictional game world. Because <laughs> there this... there are there aren't a zillion summoners, aren't there? Aren't there like eight or something? See, this is me being a terrible person though, like. You would just I, give up and just like, well, I mean, F this, I'll just go jump into the I'm going to race Chocobos at the Colonel. No, it, it's a hundred times worse than that. Oh, oh, okay. I would go on my pilgrimage, go like three-fourths of the way, get those Aeons, quit, go to uh, like a little secluded area, level up all my Aeons, and then I would just go wreck havoc. On That's, everyone? Yeah, I would just go rob places. and. Well... <laughs> I mean, that almost sounds like three-quarters of the way, or I, I should say, what Seymour did is like three-quarters of the way to that. I would I mean, wear a full shirt, though. Be, oh, okay, that, that instantly places you above him. But, uh, <laughs> and you'd, you'd have a, a normal haircut, right? And you'd uh, file your nails. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was out, yeah, I was out for a while leveling is, things up, so Josh I don't know the about those nails. Josh way better than Seymour the Summoner, for sure. And I don't want to become Sin. I'm not actively destroying the world. I'm just choosing to live my own way okay will, will your will your sheer will to destroy things turn you into an unsound i don't want to destroy things i just want to destroy enough things that i'd be rich i could buy my own island and i could leave everybody behind and i wouldn't have sin attacking me i don't or know would you? Uh, hmm. <laughs> is there holes in this story 
Maybe. I, mean, I don't think it's a foolproof plan, if that's what you're asking. I'm, I'm not enough. even sure that the world of Spira has rich people. It's just everyone surrounding the... Did you see Seymour's house? I mean, but he's a... He's a uh, what are they called? A, uh, Waka lived maester. in a tent. A maester? maester. So, so it's just like Game of Thrones? Okay. Waka like, lived in a tent. I, I mean... Well, Waka was just a poor blitzball player. Exactly, he's, he's, he's poor. A, he's a if dirty you, commoner. If you live a, outside the religious structure... with a bad team. <laughs> I mean, if you're not a maester or in that sort of power structure, I don't think you can be rich. I mean, there's, I mean, the only merchant that we meet is Awaka, and he's not rich. It's he's dirt poor. It, it's Awaka. Yeah, Awaka. Yeah, this is a really almost depressing world where I mean, everything revolves around around sin and this religion, and it's it's a pretty raw deal if you aren't, you know, a higher up in the religion. Am I am I wrong in thinking that? Yeah, because I ended up with a bunch of money. I never knew what to do with it. And, well, I mean, I, I mostly tried to get bribes for items in late game dungeons, but the, the it's it's I mean that just puts uh, more focus on Titus, I think, because he sort of walks into this as a total ignorant stranger, and he ends up helping upset the balance of all of it. It's uh, which you know. I think that's an interesting perspective to take for the, you know, the large framework of a story. I agree, yeah. He's a disruptive force that ends up upheaving everything and saving the world in the end. Except he's also a dream that vanishes and tries to hug his girlfriend but can't at the end. It's, it's a very Patrick Swayze in most moments. So, yeah, so, so we reach the moment where we discuss the ending then? What a jerk. Which one? <laughs> Like, all he, of them, right? No, so Titus just stands there like a boss, watches Yuna jump through him, doesn't make sure she's okay, then she says, I love you, and he's like, peace, and jumps off the ship. Oh, he, so, gives her a, he gives her a hug when the that's, music swells. That's sweet. That's a good point, though, about that. So, um, I, I know I've seen people discuss it before about when she says, I love you, because that is not what she says in the Japanese version. I think really? what she said in the Japanese version is, like, thank you, or something like that. She does not say I love you. Well, huh. When I, when and... I heard that this time, I was expecting Titus to give the Han Solo response, but... I uh, know. <laughs> That's the... essentially what he does, though. He, he, like, comes over and pats her on the back, like... He's like, he's like yeah, I got that. He'll be that. okay. He's like, I know. And then, watch me jump off this airship like a boss. High five, Dad. It's like the ultimate frat boy thing, though. He got what he wanted from her when they were swimming around in the water. <laughs> and then he high-fives his blitzball, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting final shot, by the way. Or or final shot of the second-to-last scene. Like, high-fiving his ghost dad. Starring Bill Cosby. Good job, my boy. You killed me. Congratulations. Thanks for killing Nobody. me, buddy. Now I, now I like you begrudgingly, even if you still hate me. Don't cry about it, though. That, that was a weird image too. Right before the final battle, like Titus openly weeping and yelling, "I hate you!" at his dad. It's yeah. He's I got really some like father issues. I actually really like that scene. I think they kind of reconcile their differences. Plus, I like when Orin and Jax kind of greet each other. Like, hey, it's been a while. <laughs> this sucks. It's because Orin's well, awesome. It's sort of like you know he spent a lot of his life. You know, trying measuring up to his father and, and failing or feeling like he's failed. So he's always been 
sort of angry at his dad for yeah. that, for, and his dad for never really, you know, appreciating him and always thinking you're not, you're not doing enough. And you finally get to that point where you've reconciled, and then oh shoot, I have to kill you. Bye. <laughs> and right near the beginning of the game, I think you, I want to say Yuna or Oren asks him, "What do you, what do, you, what would you say to Jack if you saw him?" And he said, "Oh, I'm going to tell him I hate him." Or it might have been a, a flashback where he's talking to his mother, and then he. No, makes, I think he was talking to Yuna. He was okay, then, but he, make, he, he makes does. good on that claim. He makes good on it, but when he does, he like kind of stumbles over the words. And I mean, you're like, right. And it also, like, Jack's relationship with him is placed into more, into greater clarity. If you collect those Jack spheres, um, to get Oren's overdrives, you see a bunch of videos. They, I mean, they look like home videos, basically. They, they even have like some VHS fuzziness of Braska, Oren, and Jex traveling together, and Jex like, and Jex talks about Titus a lot, and how he's, you know, he's a crybaby, but I, I want to go back and see him, and like that, it, it, it makes Jex seem a little bit less of a monster from the fir- a first few flashbacks you see of him. Yeah, I think the the most messed up flashback was actually how his mom treated him when like when uh, Jex was around. It's one of like the second, or it's one of the first flashbacks. But she's just like solely paying attention to Jack and completely ignoring Titus. And then even when he like tries to get her attention, he like still flat ignoring her, or she's flat out ignoring him. And then even when Jack's like, "You should probably," boy's right there, and she's still just like nothing. I actually found that more messed up than the dad stuff. Yeah, we don't need to get too psychoanalytical, Sigmund Freud, about it. But, I, I mean, part of Titus's resentment is probably that he feels that Jekt sort of stole his mom away from him. And, I mean, and he was just this looming shadow in his life that he could never measure up to and only had negative attention from. Yeah. It's, Titus's mind state is interesting, and he's really conflicted, to say the least, during those last couple scenes with him and Jekt, until the, other than the high five. Yeah, the high five so felt weird. Which obviously they're trying to say, oh, they're fine now. But I just, I don't know. They're all just dream ghosts underwater now. Yeah. So I, I guess we can actually, we should go back to the actual ending. Um, the whole kind of airship, I guess. <sighs> and then yeah, how airship. that, whatever he jumps off of it. Yeah, that they're on of, an airship. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay they're on the, uh, the, the outer deck of the airship, right? Yeah. So we've kind of already talked about the music, that whole scene between the two of them. There, the kind of it has an emotional resonance. Um, I, where I want to go, obviously, is after the credits and then ten two. But I feel like I should just rein that in a little bit so you guys can talk about the ending first. Uh, well, I think we, I think I already said this before, but it's. Um... It's one of the most emotional endings for a Final Fantasy game, uh, or possibly the most emotional ending for a Final Fantasy game for me. I remember kind of tearing up when I watched it the first time. Um, I was very much into, you know, Yuna and Titus as a couple, and so that sort of bittersweet, you know, uh, we love each other but we, you know, can't be together was was uh, kind of heartbreaking. And the music, of course, really helped in that place. I agree. Yeah, I mean, the whole sort of doomed lovers thing, at, at first you think they can't be together because Yuna's a summoner and she's going to die. 
and then it, it flips a little bit. They can't be together because Titus isn't from it's this dead. world. It's dead! Or he's and not, he's it, never alive to begin with. Or, yeah, it was like, you know, sort of a... I, I don't want to go into why a dream can interact with normal people. I don't I don't even know where to start. Because with reasons. Because but, faith. Because true love! And it... That relationship is interesting because they were always attracted to each other. And then somehow Titus is so dense that he just never gets that summoners die at the end of their pilgrimage. And he throws that epic tantrum in the dungeon of the, uh, of the Albed home. And then he, he's, he, his sole focus becomes saving Yuna so she doesn't have to die. But in doing so, kills him. So now Yuna's sad. And it's, it's all, actually really it's, tragic. It is really tragic. It's, I mean, it's as Romeo and Juliet as Final Fantasy gets because you have these star-crossed lovers that can't end up together, and it, it is sad. I don't, I won't, I mean, I won't say I teared up about it, uh, unlike when I watched Inside Out a few weekends ago, but uh, uh, it, it's a really effective, it's an, it's a really effective ending that, um, that's a really interesting payoff for their relationship throughout the game. Yeah, and it's one of those things we mentioned this on too, too. Um, but when I had talked about, I felt like the Jack being sin was there was no build up. I think both the Arn and the Titus, and the, I guess the Yuna having to die as well. I thought all, all three of those had like the perfect amount of build up, so you could get that full just like uppercut to the feels. Yeah, there's definitely more sh foreshadowing to the twist that Orin is an unsent and the twist that Yuna, that summoners die in their pilgrimage. But I still think that Orin telling Titus that Jekt is Sin and Sin is Jekt is effective as sort of just a bomb that he dropped, but it, it doesn't have the foreshadowing or doesn't, and doesn't make as much sense as those other twists, so maybe it is less effective. But the, only, the only foreshadowing is Orin talking to Sin in the opening, and even that's kind of not really like effective, foresh effective foreshadowing. And Titus does have flashbacks every time Sin appears. Uh, I guess the two times he appears um, in uh, in before he washes up on Besaid and uh, right before the on the ship before Kilika, he does have flashbacks to life back on Xanarkand. But even then, it doesn't really make much sense. Um, speaking of kind of making it worthless, I have to go to it now. I've I've been waiting since we started this to be able to talk about retconning oh, right. the ending. Oh, oh boy, here it comes. Okay. Yeah. Um, we should probably have a disclaimer. I mean, we've already gone into it a little bit, but there's going to be some Final Fantasy X-2 ending spoiler talk if you care about that kind of thing. I'm fine even even if we don't want to touch ten two, which I, I'm fine with. Oh, okay. Um, I, I thought you were gonna do it in with in context with ten two. No, we can. I have I have no problem with that. If you guys feel like we shouldn't, but I feel like what's go what happens after the credits is enough to piss off. Well, it pissed me off, so I I have to imagine that's enough by itself. You mean where he oh. wakes up and starts swimming? Yeah. Is that in the original Final Fantasy ten, or is that only in the international and HD version? It's in the original. I saw it. It is okay. Me too. I. I, I thought maybe I misremembered that. I mean, that was the only redeeming factor I could think of. Is I'm playing something that's re-released. Obviously, 10.2 had been out by then, so they might have added that in. But knowing that it was in the original makes me even more upset. Oh, yeah, you never even finished the original. Or the yeah. <laughs> I forgot. Screw, I forgot. Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
okay. <laughs> I mean, I understand being angry if a sequel retcons the ending because that's a whole other game. But having that be there from the beginning doesn't that suggest that they always intended that to be a possibility? So, the whole point, literally ten minutes earlier, the whole point of it was to have this huge emotional payoff. It's still, it's one of those you feel terrible because it's not obviously what you wanted. You wanted them to be have this happy ending. Um, but it's it's almost beautiful in that way. Exactly what we we're saying. Like his whole goal is to uh, to get her through this, then to make sure that she can survive when he finds out he ha- she has to die, and then still sacrificing himself because he wants to help her out, even though when he knows it's going to be his doom. There's there's something amazing about that. Same thing with like her whole struggle towards the end then as well. So you have both of them warring with these emotions, these understandings of what's going to happen the entire way through. And you get to this huge, like, culmination. It, I think everybody that experiences that has some sort, sort of emotional response. And that is, I think, in a lot of ways, perfect. It might not be the ending that you want, but it comes together so tightly that to immediately after that, be like, eh, no, never mind. I, I agree that that diminishes uh, what happened between Titus and Yuna, for sure. But I have one uh, one thought. I don't. This is, this theory has probably been a hundred times on the internet already, and I, I just don't read about FF10 all the time. But do we know where he goes after all those dreams vanished when the faith va- when the faith vanished? I mean, yeah, we... that's a good question because it might not necessarily be the far plane. And, yeah. and but let's just say it's some new place. But just like a soul that dies can remain as an unsent, is it possible that he's just so determined to get back with Yuna that he is sort of unsent to this place where the dreams died? I, I am fine with that. Uh, that I, makes the most sense. I mean, I I can't make sense of it in general, but I mean, the, I, I guess the... I, I think I think of him as an unsent dream who wants to swim back to to Yuna, but I, no off- I don't know what, what's actually happening. I have no idea. No offense well, to that idea, but that sounds like an amazing fanfic. <laughs> and that's where it should have said Like it, it should have been one of those things, like, we have this ending, everything's open to interpretation, you can always hope and dream for that, but it's done. And if somebody wanted to write that in later, sure. Well, the game shouldn't have had it. That's why it's good that they didn't, That in, at least in 10, they didn't go beyond that little shot of Titus swimming. Like, Because that's open to interpretation. Once they go and make an entire sequel that retcons that whole that ending in the dumbest yeah. way possible. Yeah, I would say that that little ending is still vague enough. You're not sure where he is or what he is. I mean, for all you know, it could just be like, if Dreams of the Faith have an afterlife, maybe that's it. I I think it's the addition of the. Be that. Yeah, and it's it's the addition of the context from Ten Two that yeah solidifies that because the Ten Two ending literally starts with him swimming like that. It's the same cut. Yeah, and that that annoys me more than anything else because it, it takes what should have been ambiguous and. Oh, I can I can enjoy both. I've I've I think I've said this before. I forget what podcast I was on, but I said before, I the romantic in me really liked the ending of 10-2. I didn't mind that it retconned, because I could still enjoy the bittersweetness of 10's ending, and you don't get to 10-2's ending immediately. There's time that's passed. Well, I'll make the entire situation much more clear as soon as I finish my fanfic. 
but I mean, I. I oh, so it's but, your story. Are you? I mean, I mean, this you, is your story. This is my story. It that was, was so cute. weird too. Were you the one who wrote that novel, Mike? Uh, Be honest. Yes. Now. Sure. I knew it. That that Japanese only novel where Tidus kicks a blitz ball and, expo- and, and explodes. Oh, what? I, I, I have no, no idea what you're talking about. about. I'm like, that was a thing. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm pulling this up. I'm not supporting you in this. Uh, okay, I'm so still they, not sure they, what that has to do with anything. But look up Final Fantasy X 2.5. Okay, I will not do that. But I will say that the <laughs> the uh, the ending is is appropriately vague and probably diminishes the real tragedy of the FF10's ending, but I mean, I guess people that really wanted to see them together would be more okay with that ending. It, uh, I, I don't know. I, I was just, I mean, that whole unsent dream thing was just me trying to rationalize it a little bit, but nothing, no theory I come up with will make any sense because, frankly, the world doesn't make a lot of sense in Final Fantasy X. Well, one of the bonus endings intend to I never saw it myself because I missed something, so I didn't get the 100%, but I watched it on YouTube at one point, and I, it suggests that maybe something like that might be going on. So yeah. maybe you get your wish, because he... Spoilers again here for 10 too. Don't listen if you don't want to hear it. He, they talk after he comes back, and he s- says that he might not be able to stay. He might eventually disappear again. Yeah, and they talk about kind of the faiths possibly sending him back. Yeah, so... Don't know. Yeah. You could still get your bittersweet ending if he ends up disappearing again, and then that would probably be it, because they're not making a 10-3, or are they? Maybe that's what they're doing. They're not actually making Final Fantasy VII again. They're just making Final Fantasy X-3. <laughs> they're, the, they're looking at the sales of the HD remaster, and if they're good enough, we're getting FF-10-3. That would Final be Fantasy the most VII. awful bait and switch. <laughs> Final Fantasy VII is Final Fantasy X-3. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, there is uh, one of the Ultimania guides proposed that, uh, or doesn't, I mean, doesn't propose, straight out says that FF-10 is a many, many years in the past prequel to FF-7, I think. But I, I don't, I don't remember exactly which way it goes. Or more specifically, it is um, FF-10-2 is a prequel. Oh, okay. And and the faith basically are the life stream of the planet. I'm sorry, not the faith. The uh, like the the uh, the fireflies and the souls going through the planet are the life stream. But we don't we don't need to, we really don't need to get in, deep into that. That's just something that I know has been floating around on the internet for several years now. Welcome back, everyone. We had a little bit of technical difficulties, but we seem to be okay now. Uh, I guess you could call this episode 2-2, two, two, part 2? Two? 2-3, two, part 2. 2-3! Ah, oh. damn! <laughs> you were so matter. proud of yourself. I know! Right the first time. Yeah, well, that seems about right. About 50% of a chance. What are you gonna do? Cry about it? Uh, I, I'm gonna weep terribly once I get off this call. Yes. Always uh, the cry, baby. <laughs> So I've we have no idea where it broke off. We think it was a good spot. So we're just gonna delve into kind of final thoughts, final impressions, how excited everybody is to move on to Final Fantasy Tactics. 
put a nice little neat bow on this. So, why don't you go first, Peter? Um, Final Fantasy X is still my favorite Final Fantasy. Um, I think playing it again just reaffirms. There's a lot about this that I, this game that I really like. A few little chinks in the armor here and there that I've noticed with time, but overall, I think my impressions are still, by and large, really positive. And I'm really excited for Final Fantasy Tactics. Okay, go. Somebody, please. Mike, Blitzball. All right, sure. Um, Final Fantasy X is not my final, my favorite Final Fantasy. My final favorite fantasy. Uh, I Generally, my favorites are the uh, Super Nintendo and PlayStation 1 Final Fantasy games. But I uh, and I played FF10 several years ago, but now revisiting it, I think I like it. I like it more than I did back then because I'm uh, I I have fewer hang-ups about the game's linearity and skill system, and I appreciate just how beautiful it, the game is and how surprisingly deep the game's systems and endgame quests are. And uh, enjoying Blitzball <laughs> for the first time was a bit of a revelation, even if I'm the only person that had that revelation. So, yeah, I gave Final Fantasy X another shot, and I'm glad I did, because I like it a lot better than I used to. What about you, Caitlin? Uh, well, my opinion, I don't know, it's probably not going to be totally fair, because I haven't been playing it, and I haven't played it in years, but um, it's not my favorite Final Fantasy, although it was when I first played it. I was so enamored by it. I think just having it be that first game that felt cinematic and had... Uh, voice acting and it, it took it to a whole new level I was I was super excited about the future of Final Fantasy at that point and since 12 was my favorite I my uh, excitement ended up being uh, justified sorry train pass in the background there um, but there are things a lot of things I love about it still I love the, the battle system is probably one of my favorites in the series um, I love the love story. Uh, I'm a sucker for a good romance, and even though you know it, the ending got retconned in the end. I uh, still really liked the bittersweet ending, even though a part of me was happy that they ended up together in Ten Two. Um, and Tactics, hey, Tactics is hands down top three Final Fantasies for me. I love it. Every time I play it, I get sucked into it. So I'm super excited that we're going to be playing it, and I can't wait to hear. Uh, Peter's reactions to certain parts of the game. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I, can I talk about Final Fantasy Tactics too, as well, briefly? Yeah, go uh, ahead. Absolutely. It, it's my favorite Final Fantasy game. So I'm also very interested to see uh, what Peter thinks of it, because he'll be playing it for the first time. I'm not sure I'll be on that podcast. I might do a Caitlin and just show up without playing it. <laughs> but uh, I am really looking forward to everyone's thoughts on Final Fantasy Tactics, because that's a game very near and dear to my hop. Heart. Yeah. Your hat. My hat. I think I'm the only person here south of the Mason Dixon line, and I called it my hat. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Well done. Well played. Um, so I'm going to kind of do my response in uh, two parts. First, I'm going to kind of quote somebody from the, the thread. Um, so Sugarness said the other day that uh, Final Fantasy X pushed the system envelope with production and graphics. And uh, this was one for me that really had a wow factor from a wider media perspective. And then kind of went on and talked about uh, kind of the second major thing was because of the game and then also the, 
production value and whatnot. It was it was one of those kind of big moments where it's like, yes, I, I want to play more RPG games. Like this was kind of transitioned into this is what this is the genre I like. Um, and in a lot of ways, that kind of fits for me as well. Uh, my, my my first RPG was uh, Pokemon, well Yellow, Pokemon Yellow, um, and that was that was to me basically that was RPG games that that was my complete understanding um and i for the most part i, I didn't play anything else um, that's why i almost always be on these old games and almost every time i'll be like yeah i've never beaten that um and this was one of those it was on a whim that i bought final fantasy 10 and it was because it looked so good and after kind of playing through it originally that was where i was like oh wow there's there's something else here and that that was really stated once again while playing through this that it, it there's a huge story there. It's an epic story. Um, and it, it's one of those things I, I, I really liked being part of the, like the journey throughout the whole thing. All right. So, and I guess, oh, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, so I can talk even more. Um, Final Fantasy Tactics is one of my favorite games of all time. I absolutely love that game. Um, unarguably in my top 10, probably in my top five. So I'm, I'm super, super excited have any excuse to play it again how do you pronounce rams's last name anybody i he always thought i always thought it was beowulf 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 with a v instead of an f sound at the end i've always i've been saying it bel or beluv and i'm pretty sure that's wrong but... just to be confusing there is a character named beowulf later in the game yeah yeah that's oh. why in my mind i call him belmont because then he just seems super badass i just call him belmont i just call him Ramza Belmont. And you're just, all of us mentioned how gorgeous the game looks. It's 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 crazy to me that this was really early in the PS2's lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. It still looks great nowadays, even though I'm playing an HD remastered version. But it has a tremendous visual impact and looks beautiful, even though it was it's from 2001. That's it was a PS2 baby. Yeah. Yeah, and it's. It's fully 3D. It, well, whatever. Yeah, no more. Uh, not no pre-rendered backgrounds that are basically on a single plane like uh, like the PS1 FF games. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it was a huge, huge step forward, both for Final Fantasy and the genre. And you can say whatever you want about. I don't want to hear them talk. I don't want to have this. I don't want that. What about they do? What do they do with the music? What about those character designs? I don't care about this love story. It it revolutionized how RPGs were made. I agree. Yeah, yeah. And it's, Square is, is really good at doing that, where they, you know, the first entry on a new platform really wows. Seven was thirteen. Well, okay, yeah, maybe. Well, thirteen <laughs> was visually impressive, even if everything else about it sucked. Look, at every, I mean, Caitlin has a point. Every big budget Square Enix game looks like a million bucks. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Completely like agree. Like it play like a million bucks. And some 15. like and some, twelve. And some don't yes! age as well as others. Just looking at Final Fantasy VII, where everyone is made of cylinders and cones. But not anymore. But aren't we all? Aren't we all really just made of cylinders and cones and polygons? Well, and now I'm not even sure if I'm alive. Did I, did I die? Or am I just a dream? You're getting dangerously close to abstract thought, there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a butterfly, dreaming that I'm a plate of sashimi. Ooh, that sounds good right now. 
Yeah, I'm hungry too, so maybe that's a good place to rest. Yeah, well, actually, let's, no, let's, sushi, sushi sounds great, actually. Sushi sounds fantastic, but I'm not allowed to have sushi. Really? Oh, that's a shame. Pregnant wife. So why does that preclude you from having sushi? You know that'd what? Be, never, never mind. That'd be yeah. super messed up yeah, to be that, like, that, hey, that, look at all this would. delicious sushi. All right. <laughs> uh, that's enough food talk, please. Yeah, all right, yeah, I, wanna... I think we're all ready for dinner and about yeah. done with FF10. So we're going to wrap this up. Um, as we've already announced, July. Yeah, July. <sighs> Got that right. July is going to be Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, we're going to start in the next week, also start discussing what we're going to play for August, so you guys can throw some ideas. We'll add them to the list. We'll try to figure something out. Um, but yeah, expect something in probably the next week after this comes out. Uh, we'll have Final Fantasy Tactics up with a new crew. Uh, hopefully all of us finish the game. Hopefully. But, this time, maybe. Possibly. I uh, will finish it. At least. <laughs> I will not. I'm, I'm playing it too, so that's already an improvement over this. this <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, the only person that technically has to play it is Peter, because he's the only opinion that's going to matter. Yes. Oh, yay. I feel nope. special. No pressure whatsoever. <laughs> if oh, you God. don't love it, then we disown you. Yeah, you, you're just going to get uh, fired from the whole crew. Oh. Not just the podcast, the whole website. I, I would say ask me for any questions or problems that you have with it, but probably shouldn't because I'll just give you paragraphs and paragraphs of nonsense if you were to message me with queries because I, I get really, really talkative about FF Tactics. You think I talk too much about FF10? Oh boy. All right. So, yeah. So tactics. Next month. Peter already threw that out. He was like, so uh, what should I be thinking about? I spotted immediately. Just kill the other guys before they kill you. Done. That, that was my advice. Caitlin comes in with, like, paragraphs. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm from the Caitlin school of over-explaining in this, in this situation. But my sarcasm all of a sudden became me looking like a dick. Josh, Josh bo- well, boiled it down to the essential elements. Yes. We'll kill, talk kill more about, about strategies uh, on our next episode, I think. Yep, so everybody get excited for that. Um, in the meantime, go to the boards. Hit us up uh, on our email, which is... Uh, retro at rpgfan.com boom there's the email um but yeah that will do do it for uh, final fantasy 10 thank you for joining us and come back next month